Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer turned psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today we've got a nice nerd here who has an interesting background she's going to talk to you about. Her name is Callie Hendrickson and she's a systems engineering lead at Ingility Corporation. I'm not going to let her tell you her story, but first let's just say hi to Callie. Hi, Callie. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, I'm just so glad to see you and your background. I'm going to be distracted the entire time trying to figure out all the different things that you've got going on behind you, but we'll try to stay focused, especially okay. for our, our listeners who don't have the, uh, the advantage of the YouTube video. But if you do decide you want to, we are on YouTube as well. Well, let's get started, Kelly. I mean, tell us what is system engineering and, and what is Angeli Corporation? So system engineering is basically a management of a system of systems. When you get into a complex system, you it's helpful to have a particular person in place to help look at all of those specialities that are going on and making sure that everybody's plugged in together. Um, Angeli Corporation is... Um, Basically, think of it as agile engineering. We come up with technical solutions for our customers based on their needs and work on a feedback loop type of thing to constantly provide improvement. So it's definitely helpful to be challenged technically and with innovation-wise uh, in a normal daily type of environment. Well, I'm going to absorb you about that. I mean, this whole idea of getting constant improvement and feedback, that's all like my business in psychology, but also in engineering. It's funny how we have these parallels, like people are systems too. So um, I will save that for a few more minutes because I want you to tell our listeners your story. So how did you get to where you are? So we learn a little bit about you and kind of maybe some of the people strategies. We'll get to that in a, in a while, but what's your story? How'd you get to systems engineering at, um, at Angility? So uh, my current uh, role that I do is I provide system engineering support uh, to the United States Air Force for their launch division, which basically means is we help them coordinate all of their launches um, across the country and ensure that things go along as close to planned as possible when we actually light a rocket because it's just a giant firecracker. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it, it definitely keeps it interesting. Um, my path on how I got there is very diverse and almost could be classified as puddle jumping if you would. I actually started out, my passion was architecture. And so I started out with an arts and design degree and moved into uh, biotechnology, which is very much different than design, but there's, you can draw the similarities. You still want to make sure things elegantly work together and you're not forced seeing a solution just because it seems like the right answer. And so that's where I ended up with my undergrad of uh, chemical and biological engineering. Um, once I graduated with that, is when I moved across the country and 
of all things, then I ended up doing interior design. And so that's where I got a lot of my people skills of trying to really drive out of people uh, what their desire was, what their vision was, because it's hard to communicate when you're like, I want my house to look like a catalog, but not like that catalog. Oh, <laughs> so, gosh. <laughs> you can see how you would draw a lot of experience out of that environment. Um, so, but once I did that, I started to move up more the technical ladder. So moved into project management. And then that's when I got into aerospace. Um, within aerospace, I dealt with aerospace engineering, data management, and data architecture, and that's what brought me to systems engineering. Wow, that is a very interesting story. That's one of the reasons why I wanted you to share it. Architecture, biotech, interior design, project management, and aerospace. That is a mouthful. And they don't like go together. Yeah. Well, gosh, we could have so many conversations about this, but, you know, people often ask me about engineering and psychology, you know, how I jump from one to the other. I'm just curious, like, how you got from these various things. Like, how did you get into interior design? Was that just something that you loved? I mean, I guess it goes with your first yeah, uh, love with there, but then biotech, yeah. So uh, it was really kind of a, a means to an end and a way to make ends meet. I wanted a lot of the biotechnology as um, a recent graduate is basically pro, pro bono. You're, you're getting credit for research and not necessarily getting paid. So uh, to make, you know, to help pay the bills and everything, I was like, mm -hmm. well, I have this skill. I have, I always like to joke and say, I have half of an art degree, okay. you know? And uh, <laughs> so like, yeah. they're like, I'm like, well, that half of it's good enough. I'm like, I, I have a, an eye <laughs> for this type of thing. So, then being able to actually build my own solutions also helped, um, you know, like if I needed a, a curtain or a window covering that was a very specific shape or dimension, I would just make it. I, so that's what's able to propel me forward with that is kind of using a little bit of innovation and a little bit of creativity. Okay. So I love this that you're talking about. Sometimes you just need to pay the bills. And so you use the skills you've got and in a creative way, putting that together um, and then moving in more into the engineering after a point. Yeah. So right now I also see that you do some acquisitions and you're an acquisition specialist. Now, what is that and how did you get there? So um, an acquisition specialist is basically someone who can take uh, what we call re request for a uh, proposal that is provided by a customer. They're saying, hey, we have a, a problem or we have a need and being able to really delve into that need and develop a, a solution set. And that solution set could be people, it could be strategy, it could be technology, it could be a combination of it. So um, it's very linear to system engineering. You're, you're looking at what the problem is and you're developing mm -hmm. and you're going to go talk to some specialists in some areas, um, because maybe you have a great solution, but the finances don't really work out or mm -hmm. you don't have enough people to make it happen. And you have to then intelligently communicate that back to the customer because obviously they don't know this solution exists if, since they're asking for help. And so it's being um, really kind of uh, 
making sure your lexicon is consistent with everybody that you work with and with the customer itself so they understand what you're telling them to do otherwise you end up with like uh the parents that see their kids uh trying to explain them how to play uh Fortnite and <laughs> right <laughs> <It's> like, what <laughs> <laughs> like all i want to do is make a dance <laughs> you know? so um but yeah, so I, I kind of got into that basically, again, by just happenstance. Um, I became to be known as a specialist in, in within my system engineering group for uh, data management engineering, which is really managing the accessibility to data. Um, so rather than having something in a giant database, it's trying to logically look at it and categorize it to where someone can get to a certain amount of data at their fingertips and be able to dig for more information if they need it. And they saw that as a possible solution for a problem that they had. And then in talking with me, they're like, hey, you're, you're able to put these things together. Why don't you come help with the next project? And it just builds up from there. Okay, so I just hear people, skills, human thinking all throughout everything that you do. And I mean, it's, it sounds like that's just one of your natural abilities going into it and into your design with arts and, and but thinking about people. But I mean, one of the things you just said was accessibility to data and organizing it logically. <laughs> but <laughs> I wish that some of the, the data that I had to deal with was organized in a way that was actually accessible and made sense, you know, I mean, or things like that. So to tell our listeners, you know, how you go about doing that and what kind of skills you need to be able to do that? Um, the way we go about you doing that is we do rely heavily on use case. So it's very user feedback driven because when I'm, when I personally am building a database, I'm likely not the person who's using it day to day. So what right. I may be perfect and makes sense to me <laughs> and hand it over to someone going, this is perfect. And they just look at me like a deer in headlights, like, can you click on that again? So right. we can use a combination of, of GUIs or SharePoints um, and wiki pages, if you would, to be able to provide, um, to really figure out what do they need quickly and very concisely, like what is their daily um, data that they need? What is data that they need when it's, like something's on fire. <laughs> you, right. That's the kind of thing you want to be able to have like a nice shortcut to. You probably don't need it every day, but there's that big red button and you don't know what it does until you need it. Right. So some scenarios, it sounds like, uh, that people are dealing with it, just sort yeah. of a habitual kind of regular scenario and then other ones like critical incidents kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. and, and do you talk to users about this? Do you interview them or do you just record things that they've done and their, their data acquisition or what? It's a little bit of both. It depends on who's leading the effort. Personally, I like to go and I will sit with that person and I okay. will watch what they do for a day or two. Mm -hmm. And like, don't really, don't try to teach me what you're doing. Just do what you do. Right. And I'll observe and I'll back with questions. There's some people who will send out a questionnaire and say, what is, what is the one thing when I mentioned this database, what is the one thing that just makes you want to bang your head against the wall? 
Right. And that's been on and then, you know, build out from there. Um, so there, there's many different methodologies to doing that. And it depends on how vast of a database you're building as well. I mean, if I guess if you're starting with a new uh, internet homepage, you probably want to go with the, the big chunk versus, you know, sitting with some Joe Schmo and seeing what he, you know, searches for on a daily basis. Right. So. Huh. Yeah, that's, I mean, I guess I've, I used to work in human centered design um, way back and somewhat similar kind of things that you're doing is going in and just checking out the users and finding out what they're doing, either surveying them or observing them or watching their, uh, their stored information, you know, what they've done uh, electronically. Well, one of the things that you've mentioned to me in the past is that you do a lot of multidisciplinary communication. Now, I'm getting that because you have a multidisciplinary career here. And, but, you know, maybe in, explain that to us in, in terms of your engineering. You talk to a lot of different people in different disciplines. What does that mean? And, and you know, what do you do? So when, um, especially with dealing with launch, um, when, or even aerospace, when someone says an aerospace engineer, that can mean very many different specialties that ranging from thermal to avionics and software to uh, structural to propulsion. Mm -hmm. And so basically multidisciplinary is we're all engineers. We all have a similar thought process, but some of us have different things that we're focused on. So when you're dealing with multidisciplinary uh, work and communication, it's very helpful to make sure that there is a kind of a similar language, you know, find what your similarities are with that person so that you can communicate to them in a meaningful manner. Um, so it really kind of brings it back to people skills in conjunction with that technical understanding. You know, most engineers, you know, probably are very familiar with the combustion engine, but, you know, there's going to be a certain subset that's really dives in there and they can tell you every single detail of how that thing works. And I'm just like, yeah, it's an engine. It, it works. <laughs> Trying not to insult them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I try to prove you. I have no need to prove you wrong right now. Right. <laughs> you know, get in. And that's, one of the, the challenges that you can find is that some people are, are so specialized that they have to get out that statement of why they're a specialized in that thing. And the first time you meet them, they're going to tell you that they're, you know, have studied, you know, thermal reactions for 30 years of their life. And you just mm -hmm. look at them going, that's great, but that has nothing to do with what I want right now. But you just got to let them get it out of that way and recognize them for that. And they'll appreciate you more and be more willing to engage you on their discipline if they don't see you as an equal. Okay. So part of it is um, listening to people and having some humility so that they can express their expertise and, and show their knowledge to you yeah. um, and not try to prove that you're smarter or whatever, or you know, more anything like that. It's really appreciating people for what they bring to the table. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah, that's pretty much spot on. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, I, I totally understand that. And in engineering world, it's kind of interesting. So you come up with people who really have very different backgrounds. Um, what do you talk about this similar language though? What does that mean to have a similar language? Uh, so 
similar language is anyone with an, uh, any type of background, I mean, this could be in business or whatever, but they tend to get into their own vocabulary and they get down into the weeds with specifics and even just certain language that they would use. And you need to be cognizant of when that when you're doing that yourself so you can make sure that you can clarify that oh this this term means this to us and you don't misuse it um, we see that with a variance um, there a variance very you know most people understand what that is it's a slight you know change from what is normal right but to an to certain engineers when you have a variance they will go on into a, a spin thinking that uh, some sort of test came not within the scope that they expected and I'm like no I just mean a variance that they changed the title of this document <laughs> I was like you know calm down it's it's not right so they're just freaking out that something came up that they were okay very yeah, important issue yeah. hey we had a variance on this this thermal test and they're like oh my god and I was like yeah. no no they just changed the title it's okay <laughs> <laughs> and they're thinking that the rocket's going to crash, yeah, or yeah. explode. Okay. Some of it, some of it comes from just interacting with them. You do learn their language, um, and then there's, you know, I mean, but saying variance is like such a, a techie way of saying it. I could come in and just as easily say, "Hey, they changed the title," right? And that eliminated all of the panic. There, <laughs> I mean, that that word isn't necessary in that communication. And I'm not trying to prove that I'm smarter by using a fancy word or, or you know, something where something more simple could just suffice. Perfectly. So is that something you've had to work on in terms I, of, I, yeah. Yeah, I, um, especially dealing with, uh, with the acquisitions, dealing with the business and the contracting. Um, I've had to learn, especially with contracting, that they are, they are so critical on the words that you use that if you try to get too specific, then you end up, you know, shrinking the pot so much that you can't get what you want out of it. Right. So. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. I mean, both in business, people have all sorts of jargon and people mm -hmm. want to sound either like super smart or like they're current up to date on things and they start speaking a language <laughs> or uh, you go into engineering and so much of it is acronyms. I mean, yeah. you start and people are like, I have the ABC with one, two, three, you know, <laughs> baby, you and me. <laughs> acronyms are very just, they've grown out of portion, especially in aerospace and mm -hmm. I come in and I challenge them as like, what does that actually mean? And a lot of times they look at me, they can tell you what it is, but they can't tell you what the acronym actually stands for. Oh, that's interesting. So uh, right. uh, I, whenever I deal with new engineers, I always tell them, it's like, if someone uses an acronym that you don't know, don't be afraid. It doesn't have to be right that moment, but write it down. And then afterwards, you know, to stop by and say, hey, can you just tell me what this is? Mm -hmm. And it'll it'll provide it'll lift you up because you will realize that you don't not know as much as you think you don't know in that situation and brings humility to them brings them down a, a level that they don't know it either <laughs> okay yeah well also uh, speaking of multidisciplinary work it can mean different things in the different disciplines too mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. People don't always realize that they think it's so unique. You're like, no, no, PMP means something here and this thing, and then here and this other thing, it means something uh -huh. completely different. Right. Yep. 
there's well, one of the things that you also do is public speaking. I know you have these skills. So <laughs> how did that, I mean, really? So you've got interior design, you've got biotech and, uh, you know, aerospace and all this, but public speaking, where did that come up and how do you employ that? Um, that I think just naturally came about I, as I showed my technical expertise or the adaptability a little bit more, I was required to give more and more presentations. So I was not lucky enough to be blessed with being a naturally good public speaker. So it's definitely something that I had to go through all the typical coursework and mm -hmm. read all the books where they make the suggestions of, of taping yourself and recording and, mm -hmm. you know, figuring out what truly worked for me. Do cue cards work? Just does memorizing everything work? Or does, you know, there's some people who really just do better if they wing it. And right. then always the, the biggest uh, thing was seeking feedback. Mm -hmm. you find someone who is a coworker or a trusted um, person that was present and ask them after the fact, be like, hey, how'd that go? You know, it doesn't have to be as critical of, you know, did, did my hands move too much or uh -huh. did I do this, you know? And it's also making sure that with public speaking, I have a tendency to talk really fast when I'm really excited about something. Okay. So I really had to work on slowing myself down because I get excited a lot, so. <laughs> Right. Uh, so what, I mean, what else did you learn about yourself? Like you talked about, you know, do you use cue cards? I mean, did that evolve? What's your style and, and how did you come about finding out which one worked for you? Um, it really, it, the, my style came out with more of a using cue cards for if I had big points that I absolutely needed to make sure that I mm -hmm. hit. And then kind of meand or winging it and meandering through the topics because um, especially, I'll, I'll say I'll back up, my style is I like to engage with the audience a lot. Mm -hmm. So um, it naturally developed between being able to feed off of them. So whatever my plan was for I'm going to hit point A, point B, and point C, it might have to adjust a little bit as I'm going. But also being able to have the questions queued up in my head so if someone in the audience does throw me off i take, take control back of my public speaking i don't let their question derail the entire presentation um that was something i learned the hard way leaving questions <laughs> yeah. everybody walks away with someone's random question that had absolutely nothing to do with what i was talking about and it's like oh that's not what you're supposed to remember so I, I've learned better for me to, because I will answer everyone's question. I'm, I'm naturally inquisitive and I embrace people who are inquisitive. So then I was like, okay, my personal style is don't do questions at the end, do questions mm -hmm. throughout appropriately. Oh, that makes sense. Cause you're talking about this, this whole like first impression versus the last impression. Mm -hmm. People leave thinking about something that was really not related and, and maybe it was a question that uh, maybe you didn't even know the answer to or something like that. And they're thinking, well, she didn't know what she was talking about, as opposed to she just gave this hour-long presentation with this amazing expertise and somebody asked something random. Yeah. Um, so being strategic. Yeah. So, yeah. It's applying. And, and, I mean, it, it took many years of 
practice to really hone in on my personal style. And I will have, I occasionally will have somebody say, can you give me pointers on how to do it? And I was like, well, I can talk to you about how I choose to do it, but I will revert back to, you need to figure out what your style is because you have to be comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. So I heard a couple of things. You need to figure it out for yourself, what works for you, but also getting feedback in there mm -hmm. along the way. And you get some surprises there, you know, like so you may not have known that you spoke fast until someone said that to you. It is moving across the country with speaking fast in mm. one and speaking fast in a different area are two different things. And sometimes I feel like I'm speaking like a tortoise. Yeah. <laughs> Go back back east and I'm giving a talk there and they're like, can you speed this up a little bit? <laughs> What about the uh, engineering types? Do they prefer fast, slow, or it really depends um, where they are too? It really depends on where they are too. Um, I study faces and I have at least a, a you know little kind of mental checklist of certain, especially engineering faces that they will make. When they think I'm talking about something they already know about, I know to try to skip through it. Uh, when they're talking about something that they really are interested in and almost feel like they're learning something from they become more engaged and they get that engineering glassy eye look is the only way I can describe it they just it's like a kid in a toy store and then that's yeah. when I'll slow it down I'll next thing you know we're on a whiteboard or something and we're, mm -hmm. we're drawing out uh, you know and really doing it as almost like a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder type of discussion versus me lecturing them um, so it's those are the two general areas that an engineer falls into. There's always, you know, the middle ground, but they're either, I already know this and you're not going to teach me anything that I don't know, <laughs> or mm -hmm. they're really engaged in it. Um, one of the things that I've learned is when I do see someone who thinks that I'm not going to teach them anything they know or they, anything, I'm sorry, that they don't already know, I then will probably try to engage them to let them tell me like mm -hmm. you're, we're giving part of the same presentation. If you already know it, then participate, tell me what you know. And then the rest of the audience can see that it's not just my crazy outlandish idea that someone else has a similar idea and it becomes like almost like a, a teaming and they feel more engaged now that they've been acknowledged as mm -hmm. the super uh, intellectual, you know, basis of, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. well, I think it's a lot more interesting and more fun to figure things out on your own, or at least be able to share what you know, than to necessarily listen to somebody else yeah. about that. Well, you know, the nonverbal communications is huge. And I just love the way you said, I study faces. I mean, talk about putting something simply, you know, we could go into all this jargon about all oh, the nonverbal communication of study of facial expressions and blah, blah, blah. But just like I study faces and that's just so approachable to other people too. I mean, and looking at the, the specific things that you can see in a face, you know, glassy eyed, you know, you can look at if they're, uh, seem interested, they're smiling or frowning or their, uh, how do you say it? Their forehead is all wrinkled up because they're confused. Yeah, the thought right. lines, and then you can when they're, when they're hungry for lunch and all they're thinking about <laughs> what they're about to get, and you should know you should wrap it up because you kind of lost them. Yeah, you know, they, they get kind of like I, you can always tell because they kind of tend to touch their their chin a little bit more, like because they're just they're thinking. 
Fascinating. Well, this is stuff that people could Google, you know, just even get online or get a nice little course on that or, or video to learn more how to study facial expressions or just study faces, keeping it simple, right? Um, and yeah, and it's just something that people don't always take the time to do. When I work with people on emotional intelligence, that's one of the things that people miss is just actually looking because they're so they're often engineers and technical people and nerds are are so focused on the technical aspects you know thinking through the problems that are being solved rather than actually looking at the people to figure out you know what they're thinking feeling experiencing so exactly. yeah who's running through the calculations or the thought process in the back of their brain isn't necessarily mm -hmm. disengaged they're just really mm -hmm. kind of in their own way validating the technical proposal that you gave them mm -hmm. Well, we're going to uh, run out of time soon, so I want to ask you one other question, because uh, something else that you talked about with me previously was not just uh, talking to people in uh, multidisciplinary fashion, but mentoring as well. And I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, what your thoughts are on cross-disciplinary mentoring. Cross-disciplinary mentoring is, is a faction that is very close to me. Um, in one of my previous uh, work in aerospace, we actually developed a program for cross-mentoring engineering that was a rotation program where people were paired up and basically had a mentor for about six months. And mm -hmm. we used kind of an interesting algorithm to pair the people up. Um, but obviously cross-discipline cross and mentoring gives you a really interesting avenue to develop innovation. You get to possibly talk and work with someone that's not your normal uh, you know, pipeline of engineering or business or whatever you happen to be doing. They're outside of your typical circle. And it allows both personal growth for you and the mentor. And it also makes an interesting knowledge share you know, mm -hmm. obviously with the knowledge share. But uh, when I say personal growth, sometimes it's just as simple as being helpful as I'm running into this problem in engineering and I'm mentoring with someone who works in finance and they happen to have a similar struggle, albeit very different causes and effects, mm -hmm. but to, to really realize that, you know, certain challenges or struggles are consistent throughout whatever discipline you may be in. So... Um, we always recommend when you're dealing with cross-discipline mentoring, it really starts with a question. Um, if you want to work, you know, if you're working with a mentor that's in your normal, uh, sorry, the word's not coming to me, within your normal kind of discipline, you're trying to further your career, gain more experience, and really, you know, piggyback off of their knowledge. But there's absolutely no reason that you can't do that same thing for someone who has a, a different discipline. Mm -hmm. um, I've spent many times with uh, specifically people in finance. Um, I would go and I'd just sit down and say, hey, do you mind if I come for lunch, you know, cup for once a week mm -hmm. for a couple weeks mm -hmm. and you show me this finance tool that you always use? As like, I don't need to be trained to be your replacement. I just want to understand this tool better. And they kind of, they're like, okay. And, you know, so it starts with a simple question. I want to learn more about a tool. And then as we developed our relationship and continued to have lunch together, we would have more conversations about the, the, the similarities in our two disciplines, the differences, and we'd be able to give advice to each other. 
and then that you know you, you build that relationship that's someone that you can always lean on and if i ever had a question about something in the depths of finance you know i can go and ask that person even if i haven't had lunch for them in years and it's yeah well, you just put together like four or five different things at once here. And I just want to make sure our, our listeners and viewers got it all. Because first of all, the, the benefits of cross-disciplinary mentoring, right? You've got innovation because you're thinking differently. You're asking each other questions out, from outside. You also have personal growth that you're in there. But then you also talked about how to go about doing it. I mean, you've got some formal structures that you can put in place, but informally, go ask somebody to show you something in their discipline. I mean, really, what a, what a great way to open the door there and then start the conversations flowing. And then taking advantage of that, and it's a two-way street here. You're not just taking all the time, but you're building a relationship that you can count on for years to come and you can both share information for each other. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, yeah, it's a, it's a win, win, win. Um, the only other thing I'll add to that is I always recommend to people that if you have an opportunity to take a training in something outside of your discipline, uh, then to actually do that, if nothing else, you learn the vocabulary for mm -hmm. that, that group. And so especially those that work at larger corporations, usually they have like a, a database of training. Right. And go in there and take something i hate to use finance as an example again right. but you can go and take a finance course it'll take you 10 minutes to go through you probably didn't really walk away with a whole lot but except for a new vocabulary and, and how it's and an idea of how mm -hmm. it's used yeah you know i just love the way i'm going to circle back here in the end it's we're all speaking the same language and and keeping it simple and that's what it's for right to be able to communicate with each other and understand each other because if you're using a bunch of jargon acronyms or specialized vocabulary you're not helping anyone uh who's not necessarily you know educated in, in the same area as you so it's been really helpful kelly how can people get in touch with you after the show if they want to um, I actually have a very simple email address. I yes. use it. it's it's kind of it's simple but creative. I it's keep in contact with Callie at gmail.com because rather than using, you know, someone having to remember my first name or my last name or where I worked when they met me, I was like, well, if you'd like to keep in contact with me, then keep in contact with Callie. And it just kind of came about because you sometimes you'll meet someone you get a business card, you kind of put it in your back pocket, and then you think of, hey, you know, it would be really interesting to go and ask this person what they know about, or if they would be interested in talking to me over lunch about whatever it is that they do. Yeah. You know, even just setting up an email like that is sending out an invitation for people to to stay in touch with you. So Callie is C-A-L-I-E for those on audio here. Keep in touch with Callie at gmail.com and we'll have all the information in the show notes as well. But uh, yeah, well, this has been super interesting, Callie. And I think you've given people a lot to think about in terms of a variety of things, um, mm -hmm. in terms of just communicating with people, but also branching out into their own personal development. So. Thank you so much for being a guest on Reinventing Nerds. No problem. I'm so happy to be a part of this. And thank you so much for uh, engaging with me. I've, I've taken away some interesting things as well. So I'm all set. Oh, excellent. Well, thanks to our listeners too and our viewers. And we're at reinventingnerds.com. And please join us. Please uh, subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll see you next time. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.